Hi, this is Bill Carmody, and I'm the Marketing Whisperer. You know, there are people in your life that tend to give you tremendous insights that you put to work to produce incredible results for you. One of those guys in my life is Jeffrey Gittimer. Jeffrey Gittimer is one of the best-selling authors of sales books, including The Little Red Book of Selling, The Sales Bible, Yes Attitude, Customer Satisfaction is Worthless, Customer Loyalty is Priceless, and many, many others. I've used Jeffrey's books to help me drive revenue and sales for both of my companies, making millions of dollars, and I attribute a lot of that growth to the strategies that he shared so openly in his books. So I'm thrilled to be able to share this conversation that we recently had and turn this into a podcast interview. It is fantastic. I know you're going to love it. You're going to love Jeffrey Gittimer. And if you haven't signed up for his podcast, you're definitely going to want to head on right over there afterwards and sign up for his sales podcast. It is one of the best out there. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeffrey Gittimer. So oh, I'm good. Where the hell are you? I am in New York City. I've heard of that. Um, <laughs> is uh, fuck you still a greeting? Yes, it is. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's our secret handshake, actually. Exactly. <laughs> so tell me, um, what are we going to discuss today that will sure. please you the most? Absolutely. So, so, so Doug Sandler was the one who connected the two of us. Right. Uh, he's, and uh, we had a really fun podcast. And uh, at the end of the podcast, he took right out of your book of your little black book of connections. He, uh, he asked the question, you know, how can I support you? What can I do to help you? And, and you know, what, what else is out there? And I was telling him like, you know, one of the things that I'm doing uh, in the articles that I'm writing now for Forbes, uh, talking specifically about sales techniques and thinking about it in the context of sort of, you know, really helping those people who are reading my column to really increase their sales. And I said, you know, one of the people that I really admired for all that is you. Uh, and he just happened to know you. So he said, well, hey, you know, I'll make the connection. So, so that was really the impetus of this first call was to get to know you, of course, you know, create the relationship. Mm -hmm. And then also to talk a little bit about some of the things that you see in 2018 as really important to focus on as people are sort of, you know, looking at new selling techniques, new approaches, um, the, you know, what's old is new again, you know, it's not like this, this massive change, but technology has impacted the way in which people are connecting, you know, younger folks tend to connect less in person and more digitally. So just exploring some of those themes and understanding and uh, figuring out sort of where, you know, how we could collaborate and, and ideally if I could pull some of this into an article, I'd love to, to write about it. I would do it on one condition. Yeah. And the condition is that uh, I not be featured with other people, but rather yes. it's just me and you. It's just you and you. That, that, I agree to those terms. Absolutely. Uh, and the second thing is that there's, uh, we're not allowed to swear. Right. <laughs> I... The totally first fine. big sales call I ever walked into in New York City was at J.C. Penney's, and the buyer asked me, "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> that was my. It's like a shocker, you know. Awesome. But after a while, you just get used to it. It's part of the. It's it's part of the culture, literally. Yeah. Well, no, I think I think there's a desensitization that for sure has happened over all of this. But I think that, you know, for the most part, I, I find in business meetings, it's it's professional. I keep it professional. And even in my public speaking, um, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I, I minimize and try to avoid swearing altogether. It doesn't always happen because you get passionate about something and sometimes it creeps yeah. up. But I do my That's best true. to keep it. What, what do you talk about? 
Um, I actually talk about a number of things. Leadership uh, is one of the things I really focus on um, and I'm a leadership coach. So one of the things that I do is I look for world changing visionaries and support them to be the best versions of themselves so that they can then do the magic that they are intending to do to make the world a better place. So I talk about that. Um, I also have been really focusing in the last couple of years about wealth, uh, wealth mastery specifically. And the reason that I focus there is because I was just staggered by a USA Today statistic that was talking about how less than half of Americans can come up with more than $400 in an emergency. Uh, you know, and it's like car emergency, healthcare emergency. And so understanding that, you know, people are living paycheck to paycheck. Initially, I thought that was just people who were, you know, like struggling financially from, a, you know, lower middle class, but that's actually not the case. There are so many people that are spending more than what they make that it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what they, what they do, because if you spend more than you make, it doesn't matter how much you make <laughs> because you that's true. Pay. Yeah. So if you make so 11 really, and you spend 12, you're still screwed. If you make 50 and you spend 51, you're still screwed. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, so understanding wealth mastery, how do you automate your, your wealth tax? How do you, understand I, I don't know that I would go with the topic called wealth mastery. I would just say money mastery because mm-hmm. most people, uh, don't get the fact that if you, if you say wealth, someone's going to say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I'm not wealthy. Right. So the question that I look at is, do they desire to be wealthy? I think you know most people do, but it's not really understanding the strategy to get there and that their own psychology is stopping them from being wealthy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it certainly does. Because they, so, they have that limited self-image and that restricts them from doing what they really want to do which is have a better life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to somebody yesterday about insurance and insurance sales. And what happens in insurance sales is that they get you into it and you start to make X amount of money and you hate it, but you stay there because of the money. And is that I, the, sale, the salespeople you're talking about? Yeah, it's horrible. It's, you know, and I think those are the golden handcuffs and I think one of the things about wealth is actually beyond money. Like once you understand true wealth, it's wealth that it sort of goes beyond material things. You know, having, having wealthy relationships is equally important, which is not to say that there's a transaction there, but that the idea that you love what you do, you love who you do it with, you know, it's just sort of this larger picture of, you know, money sort of gives you the foundation so that you don't feel like you're living hand to mouth. You don't feel like you're trapped. Um, you know, but, and it goes both ways it, it, you, there's either, you know, not enough money or, you know, that you have to do certain things in order to make the money you're making. And so you entrap yourself. Um, but in the, in the event, it's a matter of what can you do to free yourself and really have this idea yeah. of, of having financial freedom. I agree. I agree. You know? Um, yeah. so are you recording this? Uh, I'm not, uh, okay, because so I'm using Doug, your line, Doug, are using we your line. So I think you need to give me permission to record. Yeah, please. Okay, so, but it says, please request uh, record permission from the host. Are we recording? You have my permission to record this. But I think you actually have a physical thing you need to do on Zoom. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Doug, can you get... Oh, you are. Okay, you know what, then that's perfectly fine. If you're recording, I just, it's telling me when I hit the record button, it says, please record, uh, please request record permission from the meeting host. 
Great. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, then let's let's kick this off. So, uh, so Jeffrey, uh, first of all, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Um, you know, you, I've, I think the first book that I picked up of yours was the Little Black Book of Connections, and then that re that led me to uh, the Little Red Book of Selling and uh, several others, I'm sure. And I've been a huge fan of your work, so it's really an thank honor you. to actually meet you. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, no, no, hey, um, dead serious. Thank you. Um, we, I'm always humbled by how somebody finds me or what somebody thinks about uh, what my philosophy is or my strategy is because it's, it is actually incentive to continue to write. Well, and, and, I, and I'm glad that you feel that way because I think that can, as you've continued to write, it's just gotten better and better. Not to say that your early work wasn't already amazing, but I think as you've learned more, you're sharing more and that authentic sharing really comes through in your work. And so let me just you. say that you happen to be an excellent judge. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, so, so, so what I wanted to talk about today is, is the best selling advice you have in 2018 as we roll into the first, you know, we're about almost in the, through the first, first quarter now, um, really understanding as people maybe are not uh, getting the sales numbers that they were hoping for in the first quarter or they want to basically make sure that they finish the year strong in these turbulent, uncertain times. You know, what do you tell people who are looking for your, your selling advice? Well, I think that the turbulent unsettled times are more political than economic at the moment. Yes. Uh, we're in a new economy and that economy is pretty much booming. Mm -hmm. um, you can look at almost any indicator, but I think the main one is for any business person who's out there, big or small, is your phone ringing and are people wanting to buy? Mm -hmm. And I think we're experiencing that this year more than in the last decade. And next year will be bigger, and the year after that will be bigger. And I, I personally am predicting about 10 years of feast. Really? Yeah. Um, Why do you think that is? I think it's because we have been aching for it. Mm. Uh, there's been so much regulation that it's time to get rid of some of that crap. And the, the, whatever the health care is, whatever the, you know, the, the housing market, these are people that are the backbone of America and they just rose up and said, hey, it's game time. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's, a, that there's going to be a, a long-term gain for us, especially if they pass the infrastructure law and the, the earth movers of America and the tunnel builders of America start back into the process. And, you know, there's just been a tariff placed on steel, so the manufacturing is going to come back. And I think there's going to just be a resurgence. I think it'll be a renaissance that we'll probably peg by a name, you know, uh, the industrial age or the mechanical age or the golden age. But whatever it is, it's going to be the money age over the course mm -hmm. of the next decade. So I'm, I'm predicting this boom, but there are only certain people that are going to be able to take advantage of it in the sales world. And those are the people who blend face-to-face -face and online. You can't do one or the other unless you're Amazon. And even Amazon is getting face-to-face -face now by opening up stores uh, across the country and putting these warehouses in place, uh, which will ultimately become showrooms. I so mean, they, as you, they get the fact that people want to see it and touch it. 
So as you look to blend the face-to-face and online and you're talking to your clients and thinking about sort of what that really good blend looks like, how are you leveraging technology to facilitate more FaceTime? Well, there has to be an ability for somebody to have a sales force. So if you're, if you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you have a manufacturing facility or a, uh, a distribution facility, and you're looking to be global, then you better have global reps. Somebody that can bang on somebody's door and say, hi, I'm, I'm from Bob's company, and I'm here to show you my stuff. I'm here to build a relationship with you because I want your I want your business. You can order from me at midnight. I don't have to be here for the order, but I want to make friends with you. Mm-hmm. And I want to share with you what my value is. But let me let me go back just a little bit, okay? Please. There are some underlying principles right now that are not being met. And the underlying principles that are not being met, I think, are at the core of what needs to happen in this world at this moment. Um, the salesperson, the young salesperson, needs to understand that what happens after the sale is more important than what leads up to the sale. In other words, um, I, I want to know, if I buy a car, am I buying a car in the showroom or am I buying it to drive? Mm-hmm. And the answer is I'm buying it to drive. So that salesperson better focus on what the hell is going to happen after I get the, the car home in my driveway because that's mm-hmm. what I really bought it for outcome and it's the least understood part of the process you know outcome. I, I love I love what you're saying here too because if you do in fact focus on outcome then you have a better shot of creating advocacy and to that end, I feel like the, the word of mouth is so critically important and often not focused on because it's always what's the next deal as opposed right. to how do I create raving fans that will produce better sales for me. So outcome is what happens after the customer takes ownership or what happens after they, after they buy. And then where's the social proof that says this is what we said it was going to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, look at Yelp, look at, at uh, TripAdvisor, look at Google, and you'll see everybody is, is fighting for a rating. Every book up on Amazon, every product up on Amazon fights for a five-star rating. So that when I come across your thing, if I, when I need a blender or I want a book, I'm going to look at the reviews. Mm-hmm. Everyone looks at the reviews now. And Amazon even has the guts to review their own stuff. <laughs> which is not always good by the way but Absolutely. i i the people have to the the first piece is outcome and if you want to go back to a definition productivity determines outcome the more produce the more you're able to produce in a high quality high relationship oriented basis the better your outcomes are going to be proven because people are going to be willing to take the time. Don't don't say like me on Facebook. That's a bunch of crap that no one will ever do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you go home and uh, you know to your spouse and you go, "Honey, did we, did we remember to like that dry cleaner?" <laughs> never. No. Ever. Okay, so that never happens. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing that always boggled my mind. When I would have clients that would ask me to help them get more likes on Facebook, my own question was, "Why?" Like, what are you going to do for that? Right, exactly. You know? and, yeah. and, so then, and right. If you've then, not then defined what's your thing? value, it'll never happen. So what I want to, I'm going to, 
let's take it just a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, let's talk about um, value because if I don't have perceived value, I'm not going to buy from you. And, uh, you know, I mean, otherwise I'm just going to buy price. I'm looking for, a, uh, but if I'm looking for a, for a bakery, I'm going to go to the best bakery. I'm not going to say, well, these donuts cost 25 cents more than the other guy's donuts because the other guy's donuts blow. I'm going <laughs> to buy the best donut. Right. But if you're looking for a Chevrolet or you're looking for a house or what, you know, you can't just buy on the price. You have to buy based on what you perceive the the happiness will be, the happiness factor once I take ownership or the utility once I take ownership. And those are the things that are, that are going to trigger my wallet to come out of my back pocket. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the value of time that the salesperson has. I'm looking at the value of one more call that the salesperson makes. And I'm looking at the value of social proof once that happens. I don't want to brag about myself. I want people to prove it. Because as a salesperson, you're typically not believed. But Mm -hmm. as a business person who's got all kinds of rave reviews up on any kind of website, I'm going to believe those a hell of a lot more because I'm certainly going to believe it if it's negative. Know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's that's pretty much where it starts. It starts. Well, in- and, and therein lies one of the challenges uh, digitally. So we're talking about the blend between face-to-face and, and online is the propensity, you know, that if I love your product, I still may not take the initiative to review it. But if, if I've had anything that's mismatched in terms of what I expected versus what I received, mm-hmm. you better believe I'm going to talk about it. And so therein lies the challenge for, for the sales and business organizations is to ensure that they're setting the right expectations that can easily be exceeded as opposed to set, setting wrong expectations, yeah. which then will be talked about. I totally, I totally agree with you on that. So let's look at it from the perspective of I have my social proof. I have my uh, online presence. I have my face-to-face presence. And I have a product or a service that a lot of people are going to like. There's an old book. Um, it's called Trips, Tips for Traveling Salesmen. It was uh, it was written by Herbert Casson in 1927. And the quote in the book that opens up the book says, every winner has scars. <laughs> what was the Love battle it. that you were willing to fight in order to be able to get what you got? And I don't think in today's world, people are willing to fight as much as they did in the, quote, old days, whatever the old days. Were. I love that. And, you know, I... I we, we live in an age of millennials. However, the Generation Z people are coming along pretty quick. Yes, they and are. And the millennials are going to become almost irrelevant in our society. There's lots of them, but they're going to be workers. They're not going to be owners and leaders for the Let most part. That. Yes, they'll be millennial stars, but they're going to be in the minority. The younger kid, and but the, the majority of millennials, their mom still pays their phone bill. Mm. And... You can't have that in our society. That does what it says is you're not willing to fight for your own independence, let alone your customer. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've uncovered some things, and I've been writing about it um, that I think are going to drive sales for the next 25 years. Awesome. But they have to do with education 
as much as they have to do with putting things into practice. Um, I have a learning academy, the Gittimer Learning Academy. It's got about a thousand hours of my video and audio that people can resonate with. Um, we'll probably put this recording up so awesome. that people can get a, a good feel for what the hell is going on. And we'll <laughs> tag you, obviously, at the bottom. But uh, people want to know, and they want to know more, and they want to know now. So we record everything audio, but we also do video. And the video helps us because people want video on their phone. That's how they learn these days on video. But that doesn't mean, and that doesn't mean that they can't learn every element of the science of selling socially and face to face as part of what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Big. Um, in my opinion, they need to to have value based relationship selling. In other words, I I need to feel that you're going to be a resource to me, not some sales guy. Yes. Resources are a dime a dozen. Uh, resources are are rare. Salespeople are a dime a dozen. Yes. Um, well, and, and, you know, and that gets me back to one of the most important things I like to focus on, which is what is your superpower? What is the value that you can deliver to people that is uniquely your own? Because if you can understand and define that well, that's how I become a resource for mm-hmm. you. I so, look, I, I look at a, a person's ability to differentiate themselves at first is with, uh, is with the questions. Yes. If I ask you great questions that no one's ever asked before. Uh, I'm going to win. Let me give you a classic example. I sell homes, Mm -hmm. which are going to be a a huge thing once again over the course of the next four or five years. You go into a a real estate agency and you go, I'm really looking for a a new home in this community. And the real estate agent goes, do you have one to sell? Hmm. Like, seriously, dude, go away from me. Or you you go into a housing development, you know, by a builder and they go, um, what type of home are you looking for? Are you pre-approved for a mortgage? Do you have it? Oh, my God. All they want to do is qualify the person. So my sales philosophy has always been don't qualify anybody, just like them. Because if you like mm-hmm. them, they may like you back. And if you piss them off, they're going to go home and tell 50 people. And then put it up on Facebook where they're right. going to tell 50 million people. So that gets to another, that gets to the other philosophy, which I also share with you, which is that add value first. Yeah. Before I ever ask for anything of anyone, how can I deliver value? Okay. So I'm going to, you know, the, the, the challenge is to use a value-based approach and talk in terms of the other person. And when you do, you ask questions. So if someone walks into my home that I'm selling I'm going to sit the person down, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, and I'm going to look at Mrs. Jones and Mr. Jones, and I'm going to, I'll, I'll pick someone to question first and say, hey, tell me about the home that you grew up in. Mm-hmm. And then the other person, tell me about the home that you grew up in. Now I get a picture of exactly how they grew up. It's totally emotional. Totally, totally emotional. Now Love I've it. got them. I'm having them reminisce, and I'm go- then I'm going to say, so is that the kind of home that you're looking for? Oh. Tell me about the bedroom that you grew up in. Because you can remember it like you remember your name. And that's the kind of things that are, get into the emotional side of this process. No one ever asks that question. Ever, ever. 
And, and that's the emotional connection because, and I totally appreciate where you're going because people buy on emotion and backfill with logic. That's you know, correct. Be- before so, you ever buy that car, your heart has to flutter a little first. And you have to envision yourself driving around in it. And that has nothing to do with logic. <laughs> so now I've uncovered this personal information. I'm going to use it to, to start with the relationship. Maybe I find a link in there. I've got something. And then the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to employ some creativity into my selling process so that I can appear to be different than the other person. I'm going to, I'm going to bring some ideas or I'm going to have some ideas that make me a little bit different. Such as, give me an example. All right. Let's stick with homes for the moment. Great. Uh, they all have brochures. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a jump drive shaped like a key. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, this is the key to your new house or your new home. Inside of this, when you plug it into your laptop or you plug it into your to your computer, are all the people who have testimonials from our neighborhood about how great it is to live here. And it's got all of our literature and all the stuff. It even has a contract that if you want to print it out and sign it, we can accept it. Awesome. It's a hell of a lot better than going, here's our literature. Please don't shred it when you get home. Exactly. So I'm going to use that that creative juice no matter what I do. And I've got tons of creative ideas, and that's pretty much where I'm, I, I hang my hat. I, when I go to a customer, I give them ideas that they weren't thinking of. That creates memorability. Mm-hmm. If I do something memorable, they're going to remember it literally forever. My, my slogan has always been, find something personal, do something memorable. Because if you only know something personal, you don't really have anything. I love that. And, now, and, and that do something memorable can take so many different forms. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and sometimes it. it's only 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not that big of a deal. Um, I got, uh, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and I grew up in Philly. And a client of mine, a future client of mine from Boston, wanted to hire me but wanted a deal because there was a smaller company that didn't have enough money to pay my fee. So he sends me a football autographed by Tom Brady. <laughs> but it was fake. And he puts a note in there that says, uh, this isn't real, but I'm hoping that the impact of it. And sure enough, I did a seminar for him. That's awesome. So, I mean, they did it to buy me. That was just absolutely incredible. Anyway, a couple more, a couple more things I think are real important. Number one, you have to look for the long term, not the short term. It's so important in today's world because everything that you do is memorialized forever online. Mm-hmm. And if it's there forever, you might as well play forever. Mm-hmm. All of those things require learning. And in this age, if you're you know, 40 or 50, you may have to recommit to lifelong learning. Or if you're 20 or 30, you want to commit to lifelong learning. But either way, you take your TV clicker and you throw it away for a year. Right. Same shit will happen when you come back. <laughs> um. I also am encouraging people this year to write a personal mission statement. Mm-hmm. Not a, not just sales goals and stuff like that, but I'm talking about what, what do you want your kids to read at your funeral? Mm-hmm. What's the mission? And if you have a personal mission and you can interact that with your relationship building and your sales goals, you're going to win. Because when you go into a sales call, you're on a mission. 
and you you have to change. I I have this I have this thing that I wrote the other week. It said, uh, change commission thinking to mission thinking. Oh, I love that. And that way, the guy kind of gets it. That's great. What a great quote. Yeah, love thanks. that. So that's where I'm at, and that's you know that's what I'm recommending that people do and and uh, make sure that they. Um, do for the next 10 years in the middle of that is a social platform. Mm -hmm. They have to have a solid online presence because if you walk into my place to, to sell me something, dude, I'm going to Google you. Yes. And you can't stop me. So I'm going to, I'm going to find out every single thing that I can about you. And you can, I'm going to see your LinkedIn, your Instagram, your Facebook, your YouTube channel, everything about you. And you don't need to sit down and say, hey, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Like, dude, I already know about you. I just Googled you. Uh, oh, all right, well then let me tell you a little bit about my business. Dude, I already know about your business. I already Googled that. Uh, okay then, so, you know, I mean, what the So hell you wanna you buy? Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you wanna buy now or you wanna hear the pitch? <laughs> That's great. And, and, and if the salesperson is smart and it's an important account, they've done the same. And more importantly, they're not come to talk about their business or themselves. They're here to talk about the problem that they believe they can solve for the person standing in front of them. The Little Red Book of Selling has become the best-selling sales book of all time. It's 14 years old and never been touched. Wow. There's no... The only thing I do change is the edition. It's now in its 26th edition. Mm. It sold more than a million copies domestically, and we estimate 5 million globally because many of the foreign publishers aren't always as uh, (laughs) accurate. How about that for a word? With their record keeping as I would have liked them to be. Uh, But I can tell you it's reached number one in... Italy, in China, in Japan. It's just been all over the place. So and that's for good where... reason. I mean, and, and I, I would I will say from my own personal testimonial, I think it's just it's very insightful, practical advice. It is about stopping the selling process that mm-hmm. most people believe they must do and really getting real and being a human, <laughs> which seems yeah. like such an obvious thing. But you get into these sales scripts, you know, where you basically want, I got to say these things and I got to get across. And it's just, it's not, it's not real anymore. And, and now with all the defenses we have, we have caller ID, so I don't have to take a call I don't want. I have uh, email blockers. I can put on my spam filters. I don't need to get an email I don't want. I can stop you from, from going after, you know, from all these different ad mechanisms that, you know, this technology is working on both sides. Mm-hmm. So right now, it's got to be value for value. I think one of the most valuable things for personal selling is what are you saying when you're connecting with somebody on LinkedIn? Because this is your one shot. They will read it because they want to know who you are and why you're asking them something. So you've got 140 characters to make that first impression if you want to make that connection. And ideally, it's come from somebody else they already know. And that referral has made it much easier to make that connection in the first place. But if you're not thinking about the needs of the person in front of you, you will not succeed. If you can't connect with somebody in this society, in this environment, you need to take a different job. Yeah. 
I mean, it's LinkedIn gives you everything you need to play, every Absolutely. single thing you need to play. And beyond that, uh, every form of social media is out there for you to take advantage of. Fully. Otherwise, you're a damn fool. Yeah. I mean, literally. And, and, and what I'll even tell people as well is that if you, if you, before you start spending a tremendous amount of money on advertising on LinkedIn and advertising on Twitter and Facebook and everything else, make sure you've really honed and crafted the value-based message and you've tested it out on, the, on your immediate network because the people that you know and like and trust, that, that's going to be your best platform for being able to understand if you truly are adding value. Because if you think you're adding value, the best way to test it is to find out. <laughs> There's no better purveyor of success than did a credit card change hands. Exactly. Because if it doesn't change hands, there is no value being exchanged. Yes, you know swipe I mean? here. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and 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 I also love about the relationships in in your your. So we talked about the 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 little red book, but the little black book of connections. You know, for me was was even more powerful and i know that the little red book of selling is is that bestseller but that little black book of connections talking about why networking is important and how those rich relationships pay dividends long term because i think that's the other shift is helping people go away from selling the this quarter and thinking about the long-term value of the relationships you're establishing because sales is a team sport you know you need a lot of people in your network to be able to be to really be successful I have two more things that I want to talk about, please. Um, in the for the the ten year process, the first one is you better be better at serving than you are at selling. Mm. The service world right now, the the internet has exploded because of service. If you, people were reluctant to buy, people were reluctant to put their credit card in because they were unsure of what was happening. But once the acceptance came, and the acceptance basically came through service. Someone put a little slip in there said, hey, if you want to return this, just slap a label on it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's all I have to do? Mm -hmm. That label will cause at least a thousand department stores to go out of business this year. Mm -hmm. Minimum. So you have to learn to serve better than you learn to sell. And then finally, there is a measurement for all this. How, how good are you? How excellent are you? How successful are you can be measured in two words, unsolicited referrals. Yes. Those unsolicited referrals are, you know, uh, Bob called me and said, I had to call you and do business with you. Okay, great. So Bob is now my salesperson without a salary. He's yes. my ombudsman without yes. a trophy. And I want to make sure that I'm serving to a point where I'm earning unsolicited referrals. That's the the key to this entire process or the key to building my business. Cause I, you know, I didn't call you, did I? No, not at all. Right. I don't call anybody. No, I don't call anybody cause I put value out to the marketplace and they, and the market comes to me mm. and I'll get unsolicited referrals. Doug couldn't wait to refer me to you. Yeah, that's true. So that's, let's look at it from that perspective. And that's the measuring device because everybody wants to measure everything. I can't stand it, but. But you know, but but stay on that for a second. I mean, the interesting thing about that is, you know, there's the there's the the the, the one metric that a lot of people are are now putting a lot of value in is the net promoter score, which is in essence asking the question point blank: Would you refer business to this company? No. Yeah. I. I. Okay. I get that. 
However, they didn't fucking do it yet. Exactly. So and that's where I wanted to how go. likely yeah. are you to refer me? Uh, I'm very likely. I swear to God. They ought to put I swear to God after all that kind of crap. <laughs> I promise. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But you didn't do it. Right. And so, so, so better than net promoter score is action, which is different than the words or the intention. Right. The definition of customer loyalty is, will you do business with me again? Will you refer somebody? Mm-hmm. That's it. There's no how satisfied were you. Satisfaction is a stupid, the dumbest measurement on the planet. Satisfaction awards are even dumber. Yeah. J.D. Powers gives awards for customer satisfaction to airlines. Yeah, which is insane. What possibly could be the award? <laughs> I had to be fewer delays and I lost your baggage less right. than the other. <laughs> right. Least shitty. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I look at it from the perspective <laughs> of, I want, I want somebody to, and, and worse, the airline companies call their programs loyalty programs. No, no, it's forced loyalty. Yeah. I live in Charlotte. You either fly American or die American. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. And it just, it makes it, then we make it miserable if you're not part of our forced loyalty program. They so, just sent me an email asking to vote for them for the best, uh, um, program you know the best mileage program they have the worst mileage program in the world yeah and they're they have the audacity to ask me to vote for them (laughs) ours is less crappy than the others right yeah (laughs) don't you agree (laughs) yeah we win the less crappy award right exactly we're least crappy in our in our line of other airlines anyway so 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 if you're a salesperson listening to this right having this us having this conversation the next question that I would be asking myself is, okay, so I'm not getting the un, uh, the un sort of solicited referrals as much as I should be. So clearly I need to up my game. What should I do? Go to your customers and find out why they bought and how they use. Go visit your customers. Don't make more cold calls. Go visit your existing customers and stay there for a day. Mm-hmm. Find out what they're doing in their business, whether it's product or service. Go find out. And find out, will they buy again? How easy is it to do business with you? Call yourself after 8 o'clock at night. See what that sounds like. Call your company at at 5 minutes after 5 at night. And I'll guarantee you it's the hardest thing. We have a, a, to please select from among our, our, our employee menu. And you go, spell the last name of the person. And it's always like Wisniewski. (laughs) <laughs> so there's no way you're going to be able to spell the damn last name. It's awesome. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, so finding out why your customers bought from you and how they use your product is is great. And, and, and at the same time, I think what's interesting about what you mentioned in terms of your own unsolicited referrals, it's you've put a tremendous amount of value out to the marketplace, which is not to say that you've not added tremendous value to your existing clients. I'm sure they love everything they do with you. Yep. But there's also this other layer that you've added, which is by putting your greatest insights into the written word, you know, publishing books or on speaking engagements or on you know bro- uh, podcasts and radio shows. But you're giving out there in a level that sort of gets you noticed for people who say, I need some of that. Or they may even be seeing the idea for the first time and saying, Oh, I got to have that. I got to start to do that. 
Why am I not doing that? Or I knew I had to do that, but I forgot I had to do it. And the reason they forgot is because they go home and mesmerize themselves with some stupid television show at night or having two or three beers at night, and they're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And some young punk is passing them by. <laughs> Somebody who gets up in the morning and hustles. That's right. And they do it every day, and they've gotten really good at consistently doing it yep. every day. And, th- and that they're, they're a force to be reckoned with now. You know, uh, I did a seminar. I can't tell you the name of the company, but it was an international audience. And I asked, and I said, you know, I'm going to be talking about um, a lot of things today. And salespeople, you know, they think they know everything. Um, but raise your hand if you're from New York. And like four or five people, I go, you actually do know everything. So this will just be a review. <laughs> <laughs> and that endears the entire audience to me and it's the truth <laughs> people in new york think they know everything awesome <laughs> so fantastic anyway so um i gotta go my yes. time with you is is uh, precious but limited i appreciate it Listen, no problem I, I, um I, I, thank you hey uh let's play again yeah and uh, love that. I, I don't know what the forbes thing will end up being but I'm sure it'll be a lot cleaner than this interview. Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, Doug, I'll, I'll have fun with what you shared with me and I will clean it up and, and I will send it to you. So you have a good cool. uh, you know, recap of the brilliance. Well, I'm, here's the deal. Yeah. Uh, I'm coming out with a few new books over the course of the next few years and they will be groundbreaking. Mm. And Forbes should be the ones that groundbreak them. Okay. Well, I will happily be... And an arm for you to do that. I so totally appreciate it. I'll, uh, if you need anything of mine, go look on my on my uh, uh, website. Look at my my book products. If you mm-hmm. want anything, just send me an email, and I will get you an autographed copy to quote review. I would love that. Cool. I would love that. Listen, uh, thank you so much for your time today, Jeffrey. It's all, I mean, it's such a pleasure. It, it's wonderful of have, having read read your books and leading up to today's conversation. I, I just feel really honored to be able to even have this conversation it's with you. It's my pleasure. So it's, thank uh, you for taking pleasure. the time, and I definitely look forward to the next one. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. You too. Take Cheers. care. Bye-bye.